Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up.
seen a great light. A star of hope in the midnight sky, hope that has dawned with the light. Jesus has come, the Savior has come. Like a star of hope in the midnight sky, a star of hope, Jesus has come, the Savior has come, the Savior has What a busy day this has been. I think I have run up and down the stairs to the roof 20 times or more, but today was the first break in the rain we've had for two weeks. So I dried off the rooftop, swept up the mud, and even used the roller to smooth the surface out. And I'm happy to say I also took down our summer sleeping booth. What a mess of leaves and branches. We're running a little behind on that task, aren't we? Why the harvest is past and the Feast of Tabernacles has come and gone. Thank you, Mother, for your hard work. I believe the hot nights of sleeping on the roof are well over until the dry season returns. Yes, but I'm giving thanks for the sunshine today. And now what if we take our evening meal up the steps and eat under the stars tonight? Sometimes the streets and noise of the city overwhelm me. You know, I'm most comfortable wandering a vineyard somewhere on a Judean hillside. Still, when the night is quiet and I look up at the great wide wonder of God's creation, I can almost hear the stars singing in the heavens. Here, let me pour water for you both to wash your hands. There's a small piece of olive oil soap under the edge of the bowl. What's for dinner, Mother? Well, there's a vegetable stew on the clay stove and a loaf of barley bread in the oven. I also have some raisin and fig cakes, nuts and cheese. Dry your hands on the towel and grab the lamp, dear. I just added some fresh olive oil and trimmed the wick. You were right about the crowds in the streets today, Mother, but I love living in Jerusalem. There are so many fine things to look upon. I see something new every day. I saw one of the Pharisees leaving the temple this morning, and the phylactrophy on his forehead was big enough to hold all the scrolls of Moses, and the fringes of his garment were so long they swept the ground behind him. And Father, I saw a great number of Roman soldiers coming and going from the fortress Antonia. They were so large and loud. It would be best to steer clear of the soldiers, Bart. They're most likely traveling to the various cities of Palestine to help with the census ordered by the Roman Caesar. Can you imagine having the power to tax the whole world? Praise Jehovah, we did good business at my stall in the marketplace today. Tomorrow's the day of preparation, and many good women are already thinking ahead to the Sabbath meal. Would you like to come help me at the marketplace tomorrow, Bart? Bart? Whatever are you doing, son? Father, Mother, turn about and look unto the south. Look at the light. Do you see it? Like a star in the sky. Mother, you grew up in the country outside Bethlehem. Which heavenly body is that? Why, I've never seen such a star in my life. What time is it? Well, it must be past the third hour of the night, but that star is like a sun in the sky. Father, have you ever seen anything like it? I don't know what it could be. It is absolutely unforgettable. 
But I'll tell you this, a star like that could turn the blackest of nights to brightest day.
Hello? Anyone home? My father, I'm coming right behind you. The most exciting thing happened at school at the synagogue this afternoon. Hmm, let me guess. A wild goat sneaked into your class and knocked the teacher over. No. Okay, let me try again. Every boy in class recited his lesson so perfectly, your teacher dismissed you early to play games in the courtyard. Ha! Never. Indeed. Have you mastered your Hebrew and begun reading the Old Testament scrolls for yourself? Father, you know I haven't. I think you should just stop guessing. I'll tell you what happened. My teachers moved me up to the bench with the older boys today. No more sitting on a mat on the floor with the six and sevens. I even have my own little school versus study at home. Congratulations, son. May I hear what you're working on? Of course, Father. My teacher copied down several verses from the fifth book of the law, the last book of Moses. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thine soul and with all thine might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Those are the same verses my teachers gave me to memorize when I graduated from the floor to the bench. They're the verses written down on parchment and tucked into the mezuzah on our doorpost. They're God's instruction to us, his chosen people. Why, Bart, this must mean you're eight years old today. I'd nearly forgotten the calendar. Oh, well, wait. What's this here in my pocket? Oh, Father, is it for me? You didn't forget me my birthday after all. It looks like a shiny silver star. It reminds me of the great light we saw all over Bethlehem back in the month of Tevet. I've searched the skies every night, but I have not seen it since. I wish I could see it again. Now I have this star of my very own to remind me. Thank you, Father. I will treasure it always. For the Lord our God is a sun and shield, he reigns immortal bright, and the darkness cannot abide in him, we know our God is light. Giving grace and glory to every child in whom he takes delight. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, who remains unchanged forever reigns, who makes his face to shine upon his child. From his 
unapproachable majesty, the sovereign one looks down, and he pours out blessings upon the earth on good and evil men. But the greatest gift, the most perfect love, the Father ever bestowed was his only Son, my exalted one, who sacrificed for us. Trust the living God who has richly blessed, supplying every need. Freely give to all as you have received, be known by your good deeds. With thanksgiving enter his courts with praise, lift up our God above. Let your light so shine in this darkened world, reflect our Father's love. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, who remains unchanged forever reigns, who makes his face to shine upon his child, who makes his face to shine upon his Johanna, the boys sleeping soundly. Explain to me again what happened this morning. I was in the house separating the fibers from the flax. You know, I'm working on weaving linen for a new robe to wear to my cousin's wedding. Well, young Bart was out behind the house with his friend Samuel. They were taking turns with Samuel's new slingshot. They were just being boys, you know, having a bit of fun. Well, I heard Samuel's mother calling from across the street. She needed she needed help with the grinding mill. She wanted him to hold the second wooden handle. He took off toward home, and as he ran, he half turned and took one final shot. I don't know why he did it. He doesn't know why he did it, but the stone struck our son in the eye. Bart screamed in great pain and fell to the ground. I've applied healing herbs, poultices, and ointments, but the swelling continues to spread. I bandaged both eyes tightly and tried to put him to bed. And though the rainy season has barely passed and the air is still cool, he insisted on lying on his sleeping mat on the roof. He said he hopes the mysterious light may shine again and break through his darkness. He fell asleep with his little silver star in his hand. What I wouldn't give to be sitting down to an evening meal under the stars again, all three of us healthy and whole. Do you remember why Bart delights in living in our holy city of Jerusalem? Yes. He says there are always so many fine sights to see. What will become of him, Timaeus? Will he be one of the blind that line the way outside the beautiful gate of the temple that he loves so much to look upon? We will pray for his healing. Tomorrow, I'll take a sacrifice to the temple and pray. 
You should come with me and kneel in the women's court. We'll go every day and plead with Jehovah for Bart's sight to be restored just as fervently as we pray for the Messiah to come and deliver our people. I'm encouraged by your faith, Timaeus. I will join you for our son's sake. Let's take it one day at a time, Joe. Shall we take our sleeping mats up to the roof with Bart? Come now, up the stairs, my dear. Oh, wait, let me run back and fetch you something to eat. You missed the evening meal. I have some, I have some lentils and a half loaf of bread. I never got to my baking today, but there are fresh grapes from the traders they brought in from Judea. I found them at the market before. No, no, I just want to rest with my son. Look at him, so young, so innocent of the hardships ahead. Look up at the sky. I'm thinking of the words of the prophet Isaiah, and I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. This is the hope our people cling to, the promise of a Messiah. Young Bart will need hope, Johanna. We must give him hope. See how he holds the little star? Like a song. 
has seen a great light. A star of hope in the midnight sky, all the rest on with the light. Jesus has come, the Savior has come. Like a star of hope in the midnight sky, a star of hope. Jesus has come. The Savior has come. The Savior has come. <coughs> How are you, my friend? Here, you can share my cloak. There is a hot wind blowing from the east today, and the cloak will protect us from the sandy dust. Are you sure you're comfortable? Absolutely, Bart. You have chosen an excellent location for us. Our cries for help should reach the ears of many. I may not be able to see what's going on, but the sounds of the temple are all around me. I hear the squawking of the doves and pigeons and the bleeding of the lambs. I can hear the money changers and the animal sellers out in the court of Gentiles. And I can smell perfumes and spices and the scent of meat roasting and sacrifice. There is excitement in the air. We are sitting just to the side of the beautiful gate, Benjamin. With Jehovah's blessing, the crowds gathering in Jerusalem and coming and going from the temple to worship and offer sacrifices will show mercy upon us. After all, Travelers have arrived from all over Israel in preparation for the week of Passover. There will be more and more at the temple every day. Bart, did you know that the beautiful gate is so heavy it takes 20 men to open it each morning? I remember my father telling me that when I was just a child. There's nothing quite like being a Jew in Jerusalem. The feast weeks were my childhood favorite. Even after the accident that took my sight, my father would bring me to the temple with him to offer our Passover sacrifice. There was one year, I think I was 13 at the time, the high priest allowed me to touch the gold bells on his hem and the precious stones on his linen ephod. I'll never forget it. My father always found a way to include me in the things he did. I guess growing up was different for you, Bart, than it was for me. I've never known my parents and I've never seen the light of day. But you haven't been blind your entire life as I have. What do you suppose is the most amazing sight you ever saw? I love to hear you describe the sights around Jerusalem. You know just how to explain things so that this blind beggar can see them. One day, Benjamin, I will take you on a tour of the city, and we will use our hands and our hearts to see all my favorite places. I have to say, the most amazing sight my eyes ever looked upon was a shining star that dazzled the winter sky one night long ago. Hold out your hand. Take this object. 
Do you feel the various pointed ends and the unique shape? My father carved it for me as a birthday present when I was eight. That is my star of hope. Trace its lines with your fingers and imagine the soft, welcoming warmth of the sun on the first fresh day of spring weather. The light filled the sky that night, just as this gentle heat thaws the chill from the cold and rain of winter. I hope that one day I will see the star again. Ah, I hear a crowd approaching. Get your jar ready, Benjamin. Help us, arms for the blind. Have mercy on us.
Benjamin, Benjamin, wake up. We must leave at once. <sighs> Wait. What? What? What's going on? Go where? Oh, Bart, you stink of sweat and rotten fish. Back up, man, before I'm left without sight or smell. Really, Benjamin? Another blind joke? Get up, brother. Okay, okay, I'm up. What's so important? It all started last night. I stopped at the marketplace with our coin from the day, hoping to talk Ezra, the friendly fish seller, into giving me a discount on whatever he had left in his stall. When I got there, my old friend Samuel was waiting for me. I haven't seen him in years. He moved to Bethany with his family shortly after, well, you know. My father told me he came to see me the day before they left, but by then the infection had spread to both my eyes and Samuel was too afraid to come talk to me. Wait, this is THE Samuel? The one with the slingshot? Whoa, man, what did he want? He came with a message of hope. Two days ago, he saw Jesus of Nazareth raise his neighbor Lazarus from the dead. From the dead! Lazarus had been in the grave four days. Samuel said Lazarus came stumbling out in grave clothes. He could barely see to walk because the cloth was still wrapped around his face. Samuel witnessed the miracle himself, and as he was speaking to me, I heard my father's voice reciting his favorite words from the prophet Isaiah, and I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. And I know, Benjamin, I just know that this is the Messiah that our fathers and our fathers' fathers have waited for. I may be a blind man, but the star that brightened my night so long ago shone with the same light of the words that I hear in that verse. And I'm going to see him. Samuel says he is in Jericho, and that's where I'm going. Jericho? You're going to travel the road from Jerusalem to Jericho? Have you lost your mind? You'll never make it. There are thieves and murderers all along that stretch. Not to mention the wolves and leopards and wild boars. That's just naming a few of the dangers that lurk in those mountains. If we're attacked on the Jericho Road, we'll be left to die. Trust me, there's no good Samaritan that's going to stop and help us. Why, even the Roman soldiers won't travel that road at night. They call it the way of blood. Come on, Benjamin. We're blind, but we're not deaf. We have been hearing tales of Jesus of Nazareth for three years now. Remember the pool of Bethesda? Jerusalem was buzzing with the word of that healing for months. This is not just another prophet. This is the Christ. Come with us, Benjamin. Samuel says he'll take us to Jericho. Come to Jesus with me, my friend. Maybe he will save us both.
blind Bartimaeus. We're going home. What am I going to call you now? Bold Bartimaeus? Beautiful Bartimaeus? <laughs> Blasted Bartimaeus? Oh, this is going to be fun. I need something to replace those blind jokes with now that we can see. I know. You can call me Believing Bartimaeus because he saved me, Benjamin. I called on his name. I cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And my eyes were opened. I had lived in darkness for so long, the light was overwhelming. I saw faces everywhere, a multitude of faces. And my eyes delighted in the soft blue sky and the brown earth. Everything was a jumble, reds and greens and blues and yellows, striped robes and dirty feet, the dust of the road and the mountains in the distance, Pharisees in their fringed garments, a Roman soldier on a horse, a little lad carrying his baby sister on his back, donkeys and horses bearing their burdens. And then I saw him, my Messiah, and in his eyes was the true light. And he said to me, Receive thy sight, thy faith has saved thee. Was it the same for you, Benjamin? Well, Bart, ever since I've known you, you've been waiting to see that light again, the same light as your star of hope. But I have been looking for a friend. I've not ever, ever had any friends except you. I can remember one stifling hot day when I was waiting by a well outside the marketplace, hoping someone would share a drink of their water with me. I was nearly perishing from thirst. My head was spinning and my tongue was thick with dust. I was gathering courage to beg for relief when I heard a Pharisee shouting. His voice was angry and mocking. He called Jesus a friend of publicans and sinners. The Pharisee did not pause to help me that day, but I thought about the Pharisee's words. It seemed to me that a man who might be a friend to Pharisees and sinners might be a friend to a blind man too. Bart, when I saw Jesus this morning, his face was the first thing I've ever seen in my life. I saw nothing else. And he was so gentle, so full of kindness. I knew I found the friend of friends. He is the friend of sinners, the light of the world, and the savior of all who believe. I will praise his name forever. Forever unto you, O Lord, will I sing. 
where they buried our friend, the promised Messiah of Israel. Roman soldiers would not allow us to approach the tomb, but we could see that the stone covering the entrance had been rolled aside, and we are told the grave is empty. We were tempted to despair, but then I remembered my star of hope. I thought back to that night on the rooftop with my father and mother. I saw again the glorious light of the star shining in the south over the little village of Bethlehem. And once more, I found hope in the words of Isaiah the prophet, this time from chapter 9. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice, from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. about what we've just witnessed with our eyes and heard. You know, it's easy to look at that and say, well, that's just really a great story. And it is. And there's elements of what was rehearsed this evening that is added to. But this event, this action as a whole is mentioned on at least three different accounts in the scriptures. For instance, in Matthew chapter 20, in Matthew chapter 20, the scriptures describes two men that were blind uh, on the way to Jericho upon which they cried out, and the Lord gave them their sight. Their names are not mentioned, just two men. The same circumstance is given again in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, it's the only account where the specific name is given. The gentleman's name, as we learned, was Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And he, of course, cries out to the Lord, and he is healed. But I want to take a moment and read just for a second the Luke account. It's not quite long at all, but just a few verses. It says, it came to pass that when he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. 
And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passed by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before him rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou have me do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith has saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praises unto God. You have an account here of a man that was so fixated in blindness and illness that he was hopeless. Hope's an interesting word, isn't it? We use it all the time. Of course, we do not use it in the context of the biblical teaching of it, but we do in our society use it all the time. Some of you might think, well, I sure hope it's not raining when we leave. You might think, well, I hope I get the gift later this month that I really want. And by the way, if you filled out a Christmas list, there stands good probability. But if you expect people to read your mind, there's less probability. I hope I get the gift I want. You might say, oh, I hope it really snows this winter. Oh, I hope in the coming summer I go on the vacation that I really want to go on. I hope in the new year at my job review, I hope I get a raise. See, all of that really is a matter of wishful, perhaps, thinking. It's something that we anticipate. It's something that we want to happen. It's something really that our heart longs for, but there's a problem, isn't there? The problem is with none of those can we truly guarantee that every detail of it will be fulfilled. So in one sense, the way we often use hope is the idea of wishful thinking. But in the Scriptures, hope bears with it a different context. Hope in the Scripture is tied, really, uh, to the expectation of faith that one has on the Word of God. You take, for instance, the hope that Bartimaeus had. In his own, he was hopeless. His parents were hopeless. The society he lived in had no hope to truly help him. Yes, uh, though the law at the time and being the lessons that certainly were given from the Scriptures, great kindness was to be showed to him. In fact, when the Lord called him, we find from the Luke account that they carry him to it. No doubt there were times where he had to go without hoping that someone would simply show favor on him. But when the Lord passed by, it was more than just hope. It was not a wishful expectation, a wishful dream. It was, in fact, an expectation. It was something deep within his heart that he saw that the son of David was the only one with the power not only to have compassion on him, but to remove him from the power of darkness. That indeed was his hope. And he saw that fulfilled in his very eyes. You know, there's a group of believers in the New Testament, the Colossians. Paul never had the opportunity by record to meet them. And yet he wrote to them the epistle to the Colossians. Listen to this, this verse. He says, If you continue in faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Did you notice how he referred to the gospel as the hope of the gospel? 
There was an expectation to those that received the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was an expectation of something that would be transformative, something that would change their lives, not something they could just wishfully hope. And certainly the expectation was just not a matter of another religion upon the face of the world. And certainly it was greater than the greatest Christmas present or the fact that the weather isn't your way. Paul elevated the gospel and he said, if you depart not from the gospel of hope, from the hope of the gospel. Well, what was the expectation of the gospel? Listen quickly as I'll enumerate some of these. In verse 13, speaking of the hope of the gospel, he says, who hath delivered us. That word deliver, it has the idea to be rushed out of danger has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You want to know the hope of the gospel, the gospel according to the scriptures, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only hope by which an individual can place their faith in and see an eternal change in their life. It's not religion. That's not good works. That's not giving of the alms to the poor, no matter how noble that may be. It is receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior. In that very moment, I am translated. The idea of the word translated, it has the idea to carry away. It has the idea to be removed. Romans is very clear in this matter, that the wages of sin is death, that we are sinners not only because of to whom we are born, but we are sinners because, in fact, we sin. We transgress. We break the commands of God, and as a result, I am estranged from God. Hebrews, or rather Ephesians, says I'm alienated from him, and I have no hope. I've used this illustration before, but as you sit in the sanctuary this evening, there's two rather large groupings of chairs, one on the left and one on the right. If you think for a moment about the uh, situation of eternity and the demographics that exist, there's only really two people groups that exist. There are those in one group who are in darkness and those in another group, they're in light. And we might think that those that are in light are there because they had intellect, maybe because they had finances, maybe because they knew someone that helped pull them in there, or maybe, maybe they were just lucky. The scripture teaches that what moved one from one side to the side of light was never themselves. Isaiah, the prophet who has been well recorded this evening, said that all of our righteousness is our filthy rags. And the idea that every boy and every woman and every girl and every man that was born was gathered together under the power of darkness. And like Bartimaeus of old, there was no hope to escape it. There was no remedy that could ever translate them or move them into the glorious light. But there was hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it had the power to deliver them from the power, the force of evil, and move them from darkness into the manifold light. Not just the picture of having the scales removed that I now see the heavens and the earth and all the beauty that therein contains, but of a spiritual essence as well, that I'm no longer under the dominion of evil, but I now have the opportunity because of the gospel of Jesus Christ to live for and have a relationship with our Savior. He goes on and he speaks in verse 14, in whom, speaking of the Savior, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Paul conveying to the Colossian church, he said, you have that hope of the gospel. What is the hope of the gospel? It's not only the fact that I'm translated from darkness into light, but I have forgiveness of my sins. 
The psalmist capitalizing on this would say that only through God our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. They're buried, if you will, in the sea of God's forgetfulness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that brings about the truth that is found in verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What happened? That's the hope of the gospel. It not only translated me from the power of evil, from the force, from my own sins, but my sins were forgiven me. It's not the fact that I was simply excused from the penalty. I was forgiven. They were expunged. They were removed from me. And now God in heaven, who before used to be my enemy, as I was reckoned part of the kingdom of darkness, now is my father. And when he looks at me, he sees not my former self, but he sees the righteousness of God in me. That's the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul would go on and give one more, a third one. You see, the point that I'm making is the gospel is great if it gives hope in this life, but it moves far beyond that in the fact that it gives hope in the life that is yet to come. One day I will stand before the God in heaven and stripped away of all of my self-applied virtues and of all my hypocrisies, for we are so very good at hiding who we really are, and moved aside all of my earthly accomplishments, I'll stand toward him. And in that day, all will be exposed. That's a fateful day. That's a day of grand considering day. But Paul spoke of that day as a believer and told them to remember the hope of the gospel. Note this, in this body of flesh through death, to present you holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. The expectation of the child of God because of the work of Jesus Christ, because just like blind Bartimaeus of old, my faith in him. That's the simple essence of the matter. Bartimaeus did nothing but believe and confess and he received his sight. Oh, the simple fact is true even this day. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, God's promise on the matter is this. Thou shalt be saved. And to be saved is to be delivered. To be saved is to be forgiven. To be saved is to know at that day where I stand before the almighty God, listen to these words, that he will present you. The idea of that word present, to stand by. And you'll be found holy, unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. His work of glory and goodness has been done. You are forever sealed. That's the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that once I am found in him by my faith, I will forever remain in him. Well, that'll take one that is a profane man and make him one that praises God. It will take one who is in darkness and put him in a place of light it will take one that is full of hatred and transform him into one that is full of love. That is the hope of the gospel of Christ. Not wishful thinking, but an expectation predicated on the plain reading of scriptures. So as we consider this evening the star of hope, 
as we consider one that was blind, but now he sees, I would ask you what you've done with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you chalked it up just to a wishful thinking, hoping in this life that, that you might find some reformation of those that you do evil, of those things that you have done wrong? Or would you rather consider perhaps that you'll just do a little bit better and hope that that one day will be just enough? My friend, that's not a very hopeful theology. But belief and acceptance as Jesus Christ is your Savior has a great expectation, an expectation of true hope. What will you do with Christ? Let's stand to our feet. As the pianist comes, this was the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was the purpose by which the Lord Jesus took upon himself the robe of flesh, as we speak of. This is the purpose by which he came to earth to save sinners. Paul said of this, of whom I am chief, what will you do with him? As our heads bowed, just as the piano plays offer, I would ask of this question. Do you have the hope of the gospel of Christ? Do you rest in his finished work? Or are you wrestling because of your works? It does not have to be that way, my friend. God's hands are open to any that would put their faith and trust exclusively in him. Might this day, December the 17th, be the day where you turned in faith unto him. This is the message of the gospel. Father. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.